You are listening to Pandora's Box Radio with Kalia LaRoche. For more information about my products and services, counseling, coaching, hypnotherapy, books, and audios, please visit NarcissismFree.com or PathBackToSelf.com. Hello and welcome to Pandora's Box. This is Kalia, and today the topic of our podcast is Does Light Attract Light? Finding a healthy mate or also just other healthy relationships. I received an email, which I often do, about different questions having to do with my podcast. And this topic today came from an email where a woman wrote in asking, what about light attracting light? Because I had the topic of uh, darkness being attracted to the light or light attracting darkness. So a lot of us that carry a lot of light attract people that carry a lot of darkness that are very unhealed, very wounded, very in in a relationship with the dark entities, either consciously or unconsciously. And so that's it was such a good question that I decided to do a podcast on that. And in her question is, what about light attracting light? It seems to be rare to find that intimate connection. While I feel that I finally gotten the toxic people out of my life and have attracted wonderful friends and co-workers and other acquaintances, they're generally females or long-term happily married men. Attracting another beautiful, authentic soul from a male that is seeking to attract the same has proven to be unattainable. I try to have faith, but it's not just me. My friends are also finding this every time they're either intentionally dating or just open to the possibilities. These are friends that live in different cities and other parts of the country, so not just in my local area. Because many males refuse to heal their wounds, why so much suffering for empaths that even when healed will likely just have to fight off the dark? and never find true intimate connections with others. Is there purpose in this? I'd love to receive your take on this. So thank you so much for writing in, and here is my take. It's a whole podcast, and we're going to go down the rabbit hole. As a counselor, coach, and hypnotherapist, I work with both men and women, And although my practice is at least 75% women, I'm finding more and more men seek to understand themselves, to grow and find that beautiful relationship that they've failed to find due to patterns of behavior that keep them repeating the same dance with different partners. Some men are seeking to extract themselves from a toxic relationship And some men are seeking to cope with a toxic marriage that they wish to stay in due to children and other circumstances. So although there are many men embarking upon the path of personal and spiritual growth, I'm still seeing only about a quarter of my practice being men. Now, I don't know statistics. 
statistically how this carries over into other therapeutic modalities, but I do know that I've been on a personal and spiritual growth journey my entire adult life, and this means attending many different spiritual centers, workshops, and events. And it's so typical to see the same basic ratio of men to women. And in many cases, all women are only one or two men. And the interesting thing is that that a lot of women, they go to get involved in something that's interesting to them or they're passionate about or that's growth-oriented, hoping to connect with men that are growth-oriented. Only when they go to these events or these workshops, there's no men. Even the men I've worked with notice this imbalance in the ratio of men to women when it comes to personal and spiritual growth. Often when men do show up at some self-growth event, they're tagging along with their significant other who wants them to share in that experience. Women have been the forerunners in the personal and spiritual growth movement, leading the way on our path to enlightenment. Although men have fallen behind due to their identification with their roles and uncertainty what their roles are anymore, they're beginning to get on board, I'll bet a little slowly. And in my research, I'm starting to see brave men coming forward with some pretty powerful knowledge and information. The reason women have been leading the movement is that women are by nature, by nature, inner focused, and men are by nature, outer focused. As a species, we've long been led by the patriarch, and women have been subjugated to secondary roles, having to fight over the past century for their rights to stand as equals with men. It's clear to me that the old patriarchal rule is crumbling, and the matriarch is rising up to take its place. Some say that women are coming into power as a way of balancing out that long period of patriarchal rule, but spiritually, we're headed to a place of balance where the masculine and the feminine stand side by side, and the scales coming back into perfect balance. But this may require a period of time where the pendulum swings to the other side before it comes back and settles in the middle. So we may see a period of feminine rule before we find that perfect balance. But when I say feminine rule, I'm not necessarily saying that women will be in power or women will rule the world, but the feminine qualities of compassion, empathy, intuition, nurturing, and healing will rise up and have much more importance on the planet. Patriarchal rule includes ruling by intellect, rationality, logic, dominance, and warfare. Although the qualities of logic and intellect are important, to our survival as humans, we've completely lost the balance of the feminine energies. 
And that balance needs to be restored for our very survival. So women begin rising up into their own power and self-understanding. And this rising up has been very intuitively guided. As a result of women coming into their own power, they're beginning to reject their old roles of being sexually objectified and seen as second-class citizens. Sexual roles are being redefined, and divorce is at an all-time high with over 50% of marriages ending in divorce. Because so many women are beginning to take back their bodies, men are becoming confused as to what their roles are, especially with women. By nature, it was a man's role to impregnate as many women as possible to carry on their genes and ensure the continuation of the species. This was primal instinct and not ruled by logic. We often think of having multiple sexual partners as a male-driven instinct, but research is showing us that neither male or female are wired for monogamy. And this is because if women could have as many children as possible from different fathers, it would ensure her genes survived, as some fathers would naturally have stronger genes and father stronger children, children that are more likely to survive. So nature brought us together with a hormonal bonding chemical that really only lasted a short time. This means that in love feeling was never built to last. It was built to last only long enough to procreate and possibly ensure the healthy birth of the child. If you examine other mammals in nature, they have the same procreation instincts and are not monogamous. You can learn more about these studies in the book Cupid's Poison Arrow by Marnia Robinson which I will talk a lot more about in this episode. I highly recommend her book. It's entirely unconventional, but she teaches couples how to keep that love hormone alive through bonding practices that do not involve the goal of orgasm. There are many books out there that inform us that we as humans are not monogamous by nature, and so we may as well accept it. In fact, for most of us, we've already proven this by practicing serial monogamy, which is having one partner at a time, but eventually ditching that partner to find another. So what does this mean for men and women who are seeking a life mate, someone to fall in love with, stay in love with, maybe raise children with, and go through life with? Well, like any path, the path to romantic love And couples bonding also involves self-understanding, understanding our primal nature, our hormones, endorphins, dopamine highs and lows, sexual practices, and more. We're in a difficult time for romantic relationships because the old ways of doing things aren't working anymore. The man is no longer considered the breadwinner, the head of the household, and the one who conquers women sexually. Women are no longer submissive. Their place is no longer in the home. 
They're education and career driven. And although they still have children, their purpose is no longer to stay at home and tend to the kids. Because the roles between men and women have changed so dramatically, it is dramatically affecting our relationships. Since we're no longer being brought together for the sole purpose of procreation and providing a stable environment for the children to be raised in, we're putting more and more emphasis on finding romantic love for the sole purpose of fulfilling a need to be paired. In many cultures, marriages were arranged and not built on romantic love. In fact, romantic love wasn't even really a thing until the Victorian age. Societal structures and expectations are what kept a couple in a marriage. Once married, we never used to question our marriages. Whether we liked our partner or not, we tolerated them. We may have even learned to respect and love them in our own way, but it was unlikely to be a deep, abiding, passionate love, rather an enduring one. The idea of soulmates, twin flames, and finding the one are relatively new ideas that lead us to believe there's one special person out there that is perfect for us. So many of us, especially women who are raised on romantic fantasy, are seeking our one true love. We leave our marriages and relationships because they're not fulfilling this romantic fantasy within us. In a recent Sad Guru video I watched, he laughed at the notion that there's somebody out there who is perfect for us. He said, there's no perfect person and there's no person perfect for us. And as long as we keep seeking that kind of perfection, we will always be disappointed. In the book, Cupid's Poison Arrow, Marnia talked about how even the couples she considered to be happy couples were not really happy with each other. They had learned to tolerate the things that irritated them about their partners and more or less found their own happiness. Their partners were not considered to be the reason for their happiness. In fact, we think of happy couples as perhaps having a great sex life. When what Marnia discovered is that most of those so-called happy couples no longer even had sex, but they did have affection for each other. They hugged and held and kissed each other, but no longer pursued orgasmic sex. So if you're looking for a happy relationship, perhaps the first thing that needs to happen is that we need to change our expectations. What are we expecting a relationship to do for us? What are we expecting it to fulfill for us? If you understand that the bonding hormone that causes us to fall in love with each other only lasts a short time in most relationships, you can't expect for any relationship to continue to produce that high of being in love on a continuing basis. It will fade, and often this is when partners go seeking another partner to fall in love with because we become addicted to falling in love. Another common thing that happens due to this primal urge within us is extramarital affairs. 
And although men are much more likely to have extramarital affairs than women, more and more women are starting to step out and enjoy a little passion on the side. However, studies show us that men are more inclined to have extramarital affairs in order to stay married, to stay in their relationships, where women are more likely to have affairs to get out of their marriages or out of their relationships. I think that the biggest problem in our society now regarding intimate relationships is that we're still following an old program that no longer works in our current state of evolution. We have to change the program. And, you know, change, change is difficult. People have a lot of resistance to changing the program. Studies are showing us that orgasm itself produces a dopamine high, followed by a crash that can last up to two weeks. The crash can cause one to find their partner unattractive and undesirable, to be easily irritated with them, to be depressed or have anxiety, and a desire to pull away or separate from their partner. And this might explain why so many men after ejaculation roll over and go to sleep or get up and go home. Women have this same dopamine crash that may not happen right away, but she's also likely to withdraw or pull away from her partner during that two-week period. And this whole dynamic is also explained in Cupid's Poison Arrow. What typically happens during this letdown is the same thing that happens when a drug addict comes down off that drug. They crave more of the drug. And this seems to happen more with men than women from what I've seen and experienced is men crave more orgasms and women withdraw from their partner who's craving more orgasms. But it can happen in reverse and women can also be addicted to sex and orgasm. However, in the typical situation, after orgasm, the man, after he recovers, seeks another orgasm. And the woman begins to feel objectified and used and withdraws. If she continues to give in to the man's needs, she may find herself experiencing more yeast infections and vaginal disorders. And this is her body telling her that she's not honoring herself. So the more aware we become as women, the more we start to honor ourselves and our bodies. And we don't just give our bodies away. In this sexual dynamic, partners cease to be in loving, caring, and nurturing relationships and are just using each other to get their fix. And this is a recipe for the deterioration of the relationship. Often women crave more cuddling, stroking, hugging, and nurturing, and men crave more intercourse and orgasm. And it's my personal theory that women, once again, are leading the way out of an intuitive knowing that it's the non-sexual bonding that will keep the relationship alive. But this isn't always the case. There's no all or nothing when it comes to relationships. In some relationships, the woman is more masculine in energy and the man is more feminine, so the reverse is more likely. 
It has more to do with the feminine and masculine energies, which, as I talked about earlier, are seeking to come into balance. So what often happens with the men, even if they're not narcissists, is if they are not getting their sexual needs in their relationship met, they seek out new relationships, even if it's on the side. But this pattern is doomed to repeat itself with any partner because it isn't about our choice in partners. It's about the hormones and chemicals that are driving us. A man may have an affair that dwindles in six to 18 months when the love drug wears off. Ironically, a rebound relationship is also said to have a shelf life of about six to 18 months. So if you're having one relationship after another that's only lasting six to 18 months, it may be that you or your partner or both are addicted to being in love and the relationship crumbles after the thrill is gone. In the question, does light attract light? Let me turn it around a bit and say that healthy people seek out and attract healthy relationships, but the health of those relationships can decline quickly if we don't understand the deeper, archaic, underlying relationship programs. Probably 75% of narcissists are sex addicts, probably because they're so me-oriented and feel entitled to have their needs met whenever they want them. And if their primary partner is not providing for their needs when they want them to, they feel entitled to find somebody else who will. Or they feel entitled to badger and press their significant other into having sex when she doesn't want to. But there's another factor at work here that recently came to my attention after reading Cupid's Poison Arrow and after listening to a woman talk about the connection between narcissism and addiction is people who are addicts of any kind typically will display narcissistic behaviors when they are in their addiction. So addicts can be narcissistic and when they heal their addiction, their narcissistic behavior goes away. Narcissists can also be addicts. So when the narcissist stops the addiction, they're still narcissists. So not all narcissistic people have narcissistic personality disorder. As we know, there's a spectrum. And some narcissistic people may be displaying narcissistic behavior as a result of an addiction. And Sex and porn can be that addiction. I can't tell you how many of my female clients tell me that their narcissistic partner or ex is addicted to porn. Porn is a strong stimulant for a sex addict. And addictions can cause narcissistic behaviors that may not necessarily be the result of a narcissistic personality disorder. So are you getting confused yet? Out of curiosity, I went online to search how many people knew about the theories discussed in Cupid's Poison Arrow. 
And ironically, I found many younger men practicing something called NoFap. And NoFap is a website or organization of men who are practicing abstinence from pornography and masturbation. FAP is a male slang term for masturbation. More and more men are recognizing that porn and masturbation are causing horrible problems in their personal and work life. Many report feeling anxious, depressed, frustrated, lethargic, or depleted in energy. They report that their habitual use of porn and masturbation is stopping them from having real-life relationships with women. The longer they go without these things, the healthier they become, and the healthier all their relationships become, including their relationships with women, friends, family, and in the workplace. And this is because their hormones are balancing out. They're not feeling all those irritable symptoms. So this is an area that men are rising up in, that men are taking leadership in, because it's an area that mostly affects men. They're recognizing that the continual drive to spread their seed isn't working in modern society. It's draining them of their vital life energy and causing all sorts of complications due to the dopamine highs and lows. When I first read Cupid's Poison Arrow and saw that Marnia was suggesting bonding-based behaviors rather than goal-oriented sex, I wondered what men would be willing to engage in this, or how many men would be willing to engage in this. This is what set me out on my research. There were also many snippets in the book where men were talking about the satisfaction they were feeling with their partner after they stopped having goal-oriented sex. And when I say goal-oriented sex, I mean sex with orgasm as the goal. After orgasm is achieved, the goal is achieved, and it's all over. And what happens at that point is they've, they've had enough. They've had their fill. It's over. And this is actually what happens over the course of a relationship, is you can have your fill of a person as well. It's like if you love cheesecake and you, you consume that cheesecake, say you buy a whole cheesecake and every day you're just eating that cheesecake and it's so delicious and it's so good. And then after a while, it's like, I'm so sick of cheesecake. I think I want some chocolate. And so the craving and the lust for that cheesecake gives way for something else. Marnia tells us that even the most loving people, when in the throes of a dopamine crash, can become angry, irritable, frustrated with their partner, and lose their desire and connection with their partner. And this can likely cause many narcissistic behaviors as partners push each other away as a result of a dopamine crash. Just like drug addicts can't have healthy relationships, neither can people in the throes of the same dopamine highs and lows found in drug addiction, but caused by constant orgasm. We have to go back to our primal roots to understand this. 
Orgasm was meant for procreation and never meant to be a daily practice. And when being part of a couple comes with the expectation of regular orgasmic sex, we're literally going against our very nature. Yes, it is our nature to procreate, but with the intention that the woman get pregnant and once this was achieved, the woman would be preparing for childbirth and motherhood. And the man would likely lose interest in having sex with the woman, but would be sexually interested maybe in a novel mate. But in the olden days, so to speak, novel mates were not that as abundant as they are right now. Just as we had to become educated that smoking causes cancer or junk food and overeating causes illness and obesity, we're now only beginning to understand that our relationship to sex needs to change in order to have healthy, long-lasting relationships. In the recent past, we had morals and values within the sanctity of marriage keeping us in line. Now all that has gone out the window and it's a free-for-all. They even have apps for hooking up where people find random partners to have sex with. We're becoming a very sexually dysfunctional society and at the same time losing our morals and values that keep our families intact. We're standing on the precipice of another evolutionary leap. We need relationships. We need to feel connected to each other. And we've been losing this connection. And in order to build healthy, happy, long-term relationships, we've got to do things differently. It isn't about going back to the past, but we can pull some things from the past that we've lost in the sexual revolution. I believe the reason that so many men and women are having trouble finding healthy, happy relationships is because of the explanations that I've offered. There are men out there who seek monogamous, healthy, and happy relationships too. I work with them. And they're just as frustrated as women. They really don't know how to approach a woman these days because women are so strong and independent and men, men are actually afraid of being rejected by women just as women are afraid of being rejected by men and with men having to you know they just don't understand the roles of should I be the pursuer and if I am the pursuer I risk rejection and that can be really painful coming from a strong independent woman the older man is much more resistant to change, so older, older women may have a more difficult time finding a man who is committed to self-growth and doing what it takes to nurture a strong, enduring relationship. Most of the men I found talking about no fap were young men, 20s and 30s. But there are always the older pioneers who are interested in healing, growing, and changing their former habits in order to have different results. Personally, I've not found setting my intention to find a healthy mate has been productive in my own life. I've had to do a deep dive into myself and understand what I've really been looking for. 
If I'm just looking for a man who has the image of the man of my dreams, I may be setting myself up for a narcissistic disappointment because narcissistic men are more concerned with their image. So they're going to present a great image. They're often good looking and well-groomed. And they're also often alpha males, which women by nature are more attracted to. And this is because the alpha male would be a better hunter and protector in the old days and offer the potential for stronger offspring. So we're still really functioning from these old archaic instincts that are meant for the survival of the species. Times have changed and we need to be more realistic in what we are looking for. Those pretty alpha males that make pretty babies but will not make good long-term mates. Same can be said for those drop-dead gorgeous women who have the pick of the litter and may also be narcissistic and entitled in what they expect their men to do for them. We may need to be looking for the less impressive plain and simple mates who are happy and content to have someone to love and will offer love and care in return. Maybe as narcissism falls, we need to be less narcissistic in our choice of mates. Instead of having the most beautiful, impressive eye candy that feeds our own ego, we need to be a bit more realistic in our expectations. We're not going to convert a pretty playboy or playgirl into a life mate. Most of the pretty boys and girls are stuck in the dark ages when it comes to love and more concerned with getting attention, admiration, and sex than having a happy, healthy, long-term relationship. Perhaps our purpose in this day and age is to focus more on developing community and developing beautiful friendships and connections with both men and women. Perhaps we have to be the forerunners to change the dynamics that have been playing out on the world stage in regards to relationships. Perhaps we need to stop seeking a soulmate and be content to find someone to love who will love us back. The more we personally awaken and evolve, the less we fall prey to the fantasies of old and the less likely to fall in love with someone we just meet. Our souls may be much more interested in growing in love than falling in love. We just need to find someone to grow with who is willing. Marnia in the book Cupid's Poison Arrow says that the more she and her husband practice the bonding behavior she, she teaches, called Carezza, the more attractive they find each other. She tells us that neither she or her husband are Hollywood material, but they find each other very cute. It's a love that grows. It's a love based on kindness, care, and affection. I believe the good guys are out there, ladies. I really do. I think that they just may very well be invisible to us women who perhaps were very attractive when we were young or still are very attractive. 
and used to being attracted to a certain type of man who we felt complimented our own physical beauty. But now we need to change our patterns and seek after a mate that complements our inner beauty. Same goes for you men who think you need younger, prettier, sexier women in order to feed your ego and your sexual fantasies. What about just finding a woman your own age who has a beautiful heart and soul? And even an older woman, this is becoming a thing. We're no longer bound by the old stereotypes of older man, younger woman. There are many, many happy couples made up of older women and younger men, and this makes a lot of sense in this day and age. Times have changed. We all need to let go of old stereotypes and patterns of attraction and focus on finding someone who's capable of growing in love. If you have any questions on this topic or a topic you would like me to dig deeper into, please feel free to send me an email and let me know. You can find out more about me and my work at NarcissismFree.com or PathBackToSelf.com. And I want to really thank you for joining me and listening today, and I will see you on the next podcast.